I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be talking about Desperate Housewives Season 2, Episode 9. That's good. Okay. That's bad. This is an ASMR <laughs> countdown. So, I will be doing the overview, B will be doing the trivia. So, B, have you got anything to start us off? So, okay, this episode was written by Kevin Murphy and directed by Larry Shaw. The episode title, That's Good, That's Bad, is a song in the Mary Rogers musical Hotspot. Stephen Sodheim is given co-writing credit for this song's lyrics and music. Oh, okay. The international titles are as follows. The French one is The Nun, The Brunette, and The Ex-Gangster. <laughs> I love that. That is really cool. That's a cool title. The German is The Good Guys and The Bad Guys. The Italian title is The Good and the Bad, and the Hungarian title is The Goods, the Bads, and the Others, while the Polish title is the same. The Goods, the Bads, and the Others. Yeah. Yeah. This is the final episode featuring Roger Barr as George, although Barr does return as George, albeit in flashbacks during the finale of the episode, but essentially as a character in the present day, this is his last episode. It's his last hurrah, as you might say. Yeah. What happens to the Applewhites in the next episode, Coming Home, was actually originally supposed to happen in this episode, but because they had to reshoot scenes which featured Paige Kennedy, they had to delay the next episode. Oh, okay. And then finally, this is just a bit of fun, but on IMDb, on day of recording, there's only one review for this episode. I'm not going to read the review, but it's 9 out of 10 stars, and it's by Desertman84 on the 30th of March 2014, titled Susan Meets His Real Father. (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't you going to read the review? Oh, it's just an average review, but I thought the title was quite funny. Susan meets his real father. (laughs) Susan does meet his real father. Good for him. (laughs) Maybe Desert Man knows more than we do. But that's all the trivia. I I didn't really have very much. I thought that I might take a look into the um, regulations and practices codes on um, suicide in television, just to look into it because of recent events with things like 13 Reasons Why. Mm -hmm. But it was quite a rabbit hole and it was going to take a lot of digging. And I don't think that a lot of today's TV standards would have applied in the same way back then, I think there's a lot more recent work with that. Yeah, oh yeah, especially especially when you take into consideration 13 Reasons Why, that really sort of blew up the whole thing, I think, really. It really brought into light exactly what it was. Yes, because um, well, because of the levels of suicide rates and stuff like that, there was a lot more care taken into how suicide is perceived in the media. Mm. So a lot of the time, TV shows like 13 Reasons Why go to the correct psychologists and people in charge of TV or whatever. And then do exactly the opposite of what they're advised. (laughs) Yeah, and they would give a set of guidelines as to how to best handle this material. Mm. And I was just a bit curious about it because in this particular episode, and this is a bit of a trigger warning for anyone that hasn't watched it, but you you do see a suicide take place on the episode, essentially. You do, yeah. So um, it did make me curious, but it wasn't something that I actually researched for the trivia this this episode. No. Well, like you say, it would have been a bit of a rabbit hole, and I I feel like it would have been quite difficult to find a start and like a a decent place to end that trivia. We probably would have gone on a massive tangent. Yeah, definitely. But we do that. Also, this is a really dark episode, guys. This is another dark episode, two in a row. This is full of some real high drama, Mm -hmm. high stakes drama. It's also a very good episode. Like you say, it's the last episode with George, so we sort of see a bit of a resolution to that storyline and then we also get introduced to another great character in this episode as well which we'll get to but absolutely love this character (laughs) yeah so let's let's get started then previously on desperate housewives susan found out her real dad was actually living right across town and he's a business owner so good for him lynette's new boss was a tyrant but her boss's boss ed was a bit of the opposite, really. And Carlos promises to mend his ways when he gets out of prison. Oh, and Brie and George break up after his controlling nature, nature sort of 
gets him in trouble a little bit. Oh, yeah. But we're engaged. Oh, I don't think we are. Right, savage. But see, the thing is, George, I don't think we are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's start, shall we? So, opening. Brie was the perfect hostess, as she's always served her dinners on time. There's plenty of booze, and apparently people just loved her stories. This was all, again, narrated by Mary Alice. However, the party was interrupted by George, who decides to set up a, like, a karaoke machine on her front yard and serenade her to ask for her forgiveness. I don't know what the song is called that he sings, but I assume it's like, don't give up on his baby or something. Something along those lines. Yeah, those are the lyrics we hear a lot of. This is a proper 80s film trope right here. Yeah, yeah, very, um, oh, I can't even think of an 80s movie this happens in now, but... Oh, so many. There's so um... many, so many. But Brie goes outside to tell him to go away, but he isn't <laughs> having it. And telling Brie that if she calls the police, he'll just come right back until she forgives him. Brie storms off into the house, tells her guests that dessert is on the way, but quickly runs upstairs to her bedroom, grabs a shotgun, yeah. <laughs> opens her bedroom window and shoots George's speaker to shut him up. Yes, she does. It just turned into Mr. and Mrs. Smith. She could have saved an awful lot of what happens in this episode if she'd have just shot George. I do like that this portrayed realistically what a shotgun does. Because I feel like if you're a fan of Call of Duty, you might not know that a shotgun does damage past a meter in front of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't just, like, blacken a little bit of the wall and then that disappears. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Bree is such a good host. I mean, this is hostess levels that I aspire to be. I mean, we didn't really get to see much of her hosting. Not really, but it was enough. She looked great. She was like, dessert will be served soon. And, you know, the whole vibe was, was all there. Yeah, I imagine that people look forward to Bree's dinner parties. Uh, then we have our sort of opening credits, as it were. Title sequence. That, thank you. I call it credits <laughs> on here, okay? Stop judging me. Jesus. I'm not Just, judging. You've got, I've got a media degree. It's title sequence. Oh. <laughs> Mary Alice starts talking about good versus evil and how we distinguish between the two. And that's when George comes riding along on his little blue bike. Remember that, by the way. George plays dumb, but Bree calls him out for his stalking as he has been riding up and down the street for the past hour. George promises that he would see a therapist for his issues if that's what Bree wants. And basically tells her that he isn't a bad person and Brie comes straight back to him by saying, but she isn't sure he's a good one either. Mm. And it's really good that they kind of build him as a character with the bike as well. So he's riding around town. He seems to get along with everyone really well. It's almost like they're purposely ingraining this bike into the story because of how important it is. Have we seen him ride around town on the bike? Yeah, he um he rides around town on the bike and he's like talking to the kids and stuff, isn't he? And obviously he rode the bike when he beat up Dr. Goldwine. Yeah. Well, he didn't just beat him up, he threw him off the bridge. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of the term. It's not foreshadowing, but basically they're they're really trying to instill this bike into your mind, aren't they? Yeah, they're really trying... Even though they're keeping it subtle with the bike, it's not like people are saying, look at the bike, look at the bike. Yeah. The bike is still there with George. It's a constant part of him at the moment. Yeah. It's just, oh, look, it's George and he's on his bike, riding around. It's like a comfort blanket for him. <laughs> it's a comfort bike. <laughs> So Lynette is pitching something to her bosses, Nina and Ed, but none of them really seem to be thrilled by what she's presenting. Nina tells everyone to get back to the office, and Lynette finally snaps, telling her to can the attitude, as everyone's worked really hard on the pitch. We have a little bit of a clip. Should we play the clip? Yeah, let's play the clip. Let's play the clip. Could you can the attitude, Nina? I'm sorry, what did you just say? You're being rude, and it's totally out of line. You know how hard we all worked on this. I think I speak for everyone here when I say we are sick and tired of your abuse. Frankly, you owe us an apology. Is, is this true? I, I mean, I would be mortified if I thought that I'd hurt any of you. I mean, if anybody feels like I owe them an apology, please, speak up. You? 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 Gee, Lynette, I guess you were mistaken. All right, let's recap, shall we? 
stinky pitch, working late, no apologies. Guys, we talked about this. What happened to standing up for ourselves? Hot muffins. Any takers? No, Stu, these people don't deserve muffins. I love Nina. Sorry if that clip was a bit long, but I just couldn't cut out the muffins bit. No, I mean, I was all for cutting out the muffins bit, but, like, <laughs> you know, if needs must, needs must, but B wouldn't have any of it. So, yeah, as we can see from the clip, like, Lynette seems to be the spokesperson of the group. Whether she drew the short straw, or she just feels like she would be the only one to have the balls to speak up. Oh, I reckon she took up the leadership role here. She's yeah. like, I'll take it up, guys, and then we'll all pitch in. Yeah, like, I'll get the ball rolling, and then everyone else can jump in and stand up for themselves. But instead, what happens is they just end up throwing Lynette under the bus. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's really embarrassing. So obviously, um, Nina leaves Lynette, and she's not pleased with the rest of the group. I can't really blame Lynette for snapping here, especially because the boss boss had no constructive feedback whatsoever. No, he was just like, I don't get it. The whole thing just kind of makes my head hurt. Oh, he's the worst. And I'm just like, okay, thanks for that, but why? They are, yeah, they're setting him up to be hateable. To be useless. They're for, setting him up to be useless. And it's for a very specific reason, but we'll get there. We will but get there. But yeah, Nina is also not being very constructive here. No. Don't let people speak to you like that. Not even your boss. No, no, absolutely not. No one should be talking to anybody that way. I hope um, that you guys are liking the clips. Let us know if you like the clips, if yeah. you want less clips, or if you're enjoying a clip or two here. Yeah. If you have any ideas for future clips, like if there's a favourite section you have of an episode that we've not done yet, mm. then let us know and we can include that clip. You see, this is the good thing about season two of our show. I, I like putting these clips in here. I think it's a nice way to break up the episode. Mm. Love a clip. So, moving on, Gabby answers the phone, and it's the warden at Carlos's jail, and he tells her that Carlos held two guards at gunpoint and escaped. <laughs> Gabby is not thrilled about this, and this sort of shock suddenly turns to confusion when the guard tells Gabby to be warned, as Carlos is armed and very horny. <laughs> uh, at that moment, Carlos walks into the room with the phone in hand, with the good news that he actually just got paroled early, and it was it was him on the other end of the line. And she didn't recognise his voice, she which I think recognize. is bizarre, but okay. And she's very self-involved. It was a crazy story. <laughs> it was a very crazy story. I think the very first time we watched it, even you reacted like Gabby. Well, he's a moron. Yeah, you were just like, what? I remember the first time we watched it because there was no indication that Carlos was ever going to do that. And then all of a sudden it was, yeah, Carlos, how do people at gunpoint? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even when we watched it just now for this episode, I was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. So Gabby jumps into his arms and Carlos tells her that a Catholic group that works with inmates really helped him out. Okay. He says, a church group that help out Catholic prisoners. I was like, what? This sounds like absolute BS. Even the ones with slave labour charges. Yeah, like, he's gone in with slave labour charges, but religion is very much about forgiveness and redemption. You know, all of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past as long as you're willing to change. That's the thing about religion. I'm, not, I'm guessing not all religions. I don't really care for religion very much. but New Testaments and all that? Yeah. But when he said it, I thought, this just sounds absolute, like, an absolute pile. Like, mm. there's no way this is true, but it pretty much turned out to be true. I guess he was on good behaviour. I mean, Carlos didn't exactly do a lot of fighting. He just got beat up a fair few times. But there you go. Carlos is out of prison. He is now out of prison. So let's see how this newfound freedom will work out for him. I guess the writers got bored. <laughs> yeah, of constantly having to make Gabby go to the prison just for them to have a scene together. Yeah. <laughs> so Susan pulls up to her dad's feed store with Julie, who asks her how her mum is going to introduce herself to him. Yeah, Susan meets his dad. <laughs> yeah, his dad. <laughs> Susan tells Julie that she doesn't have a desire to have a relationship with this man, and has he abandoned her? And Julie is left confused as to why they're there in the first place then. Susan just wants to see what he's like, apparently, to satisfy her curiosity, and she goes into the store, and Addison, which is the name of her father... Addison Prudy. Addison Prudy gives her a free hat as it's a promotional item, and Susan comes running out of the store, smile on her face, telling Julie that she has a dad and he's great. Yeah, this isn't the first time we've seen her in a cowboy hat either. No, it's really not the first time, except the first time she got knocked out by a mechanical ball. Yeah, I, um, 
I do love Susan in a cowboy hat. She does look great, but my god, that was seen as uncomfortable. Which part? Like when he's giving her the cowboy hat and then sorting out her hair so that she looks all pretty, and I'm just like, oh, this is weird, he doesn't know that's her daughter. I kind of wanted Julie to give Susan a bit of leeway here. Because she's like, why are we here then? And I thought, maybe because she has never known her dad, so maybe just give her a minute to figure out what she wants. Sometimes you can just see a person and or just arrive and maybe it'll come to you. Yeah, I guess. My bias is I'm with Julie. Why? Because I, as someone that has never met his dad, I've got no desire to ever meet him. Yeah, but very so, different I mean, circumstances. I know, it's, I know it's very different circumstances, but automatically I'm, like, I find myself leaning more with Julie. It's like, well, why are you here? If you don't have one a desire to have a relationship with him, if you acknowledge that he abandoned you... Why are you there? Because she's just saying that. She doesn't know what she wants. No, I know, I know. I think it's a really nice setup to a storyline. It is. It is a really nice setup, don't get me wrong, but my internal biases lead me to side with Julie, I think. Because it can go either way. So you can get some good drama here. Mm. So Gabby has just had sex with Carlos, and he rolls over to sleep, and Gabby grabs his bag that he brought home from prison, and that's when she sees the letters... From a sister, Mary Bernard. Yeah, she just starts going through it. Yeah, well, she's probably like trying to put it away and pack it up. He's just got like a plastic bag of stuff that he brought from the prison. So, sister Mary Bernard is the nun from the group that got Carlos early release. Apparently, Carlos got lonely and miserable in that cell, and sister Mary helped him. He's now on a new path and is going to do right and live a virtuous life. Which apparently involves midday sex. Uh, hey, hey, hey! There is nothing <laughs> wrong. There's nothing unvirtuous about midday sex, is there? I don't know. I'm just saying. Um. It doesn't seem very Catholic. <laughs> he says he was going to do right by Gabby, his mama, and his God, and midday sex is clearly doing right by Gabby. Yeah, I guess so. So he's fulfilling that. I've never noticed it before. I don't know if it's always been there, but I like that there's also a, p- a painting of a nun behind the bed in the scene as well, just sort of watching them. Oh, I never noticed that. It's very in keeping with the religious aspect of the scene. So we are back again, guys. It's poker. Yeah, the first title poker in ages. Right, and it's got all the ladies. It's not, you know, a couple of them because Lynette's stuck at the office. That's my first line. Lynette is hanging out with the girls. Right, all the girls are at poker again. This is great, is what I wrote. (laughs) Welcome back, Lynette. Lynette does have to go back to the office to finish a proposal that she left on her desk. And the girls ask Susan when she's going to tell her dad that she has a middle-aged baby girl. And Susan claims that she doesn't want to rush into it. But she's seen a Help Wanted sign inside the store, so she is thinking about getting a job there to get to know him a little bit better first. Yeah. Susan declares that she's always wanted a dad, and Gabby expresses that everyone needs a strong male role model. Edie is repping for the strong women, claiming that not everybody needs one. That was quite a cute scene. Do they only have Edie in the friendship group so that she can break the tension by being the first one to, you know, ask a question or tell it how it is? I think so, yeah. Because, like, Susan will say something and everyone's thinking the same thing, but no one wants to say it, and then Edie just looks around like, all right, I'll ask. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because everyone's friends of Susan, and Edie, Edie and Susan are friends, but they don't have that level of friendship which stops you from saying something that could hurt another person's feelings. Edie and Susan's friendship is very much a, it's brutally honest. It's yeah. a brutally honest friendship. That's what I appreciate about Edie in this scene. She's just asking the question that may sound awkward, but let's just get it out of the way, you it know? It has to be asked, yeah. Like, when are you going to tell your, your father that he's got a middle-aged daughter? Come on, what's, yeah. what's the deal? <laughs> Everybody wants to goss, girl. Everyone's wondering. XOXO, Edie. <laughs> so, Lynette is at the office. We've got quite a few Lynette at the office scenes in this one episode. We do. Lynette is at the office when she notices Stu in his underwear, and in her confusion, I seem to love that word in my notes today, um, <laughs> she follows him to find out what's going on. As she peeks around the corner to see Nina and Stu going at it. Nina does clock eyes with Lynette, they notice, and Lynette, like, runs away. Not um, before smiling. No, she's, she sort of has this, like, idea in her mind. She has, like, a sneaky little smile. And she doesn't mind if Nina sees it. <laughs> she's like, oh, I gotcha, girl. <laughs> the next morning... Nina calls Lynette into her office to tell her that she believes they're both good people, offering Lynette a rise or a better office. 
But Lynette wants one thing, and that is for Nina to be nice to people. This takes Nina aback a little bit, but she tells Lynette that she can see what she can do. Yeah, blackmailing Nina. Um, not the most morally right thing to do, Lynette. No, but then Nina's sleeping with an employee that's below you. No, but I, I get it. She's I, been a tyrant. So do I. And I love the way that she speaks to Nina in the morning. She's like, and Nina! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, <laughs> I'm not supporting what Lynette does, but... Because it's a TV show, I'm all here for it. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Plus, I'm like, it's just sometimes you have to do what you got to do to get one up on that person. You've asked Nina politely to be nice. Nina sort of screwed you over with that. And she's not been nice. On several occasions, you've really tried to be there for Nina, help Nina out. You've got Nina laid. And, you know, that's done absolutely nothing for her, apparently. So now you have to go to the extreme girl. I see ya. Yeah, Lynette is a very shady character. And Stu, Nina... I don't know, Power Fantasy, he's younger. He is younger. Maybe she just sort of gets off from being a bit of a cougar. <laughs> and so Gabby is shocked to see Carlos up so early, but he claims he's going to mass. Uh, Gabby goes to look out the front door for some strange reason. I'm not really quite sure why she goes to the front door, but she does. And sees Sister Mary for the very first time. And we get like beautiful angelic music and emphasised bird song as Sister Mary turns around with her bouncing blonde Marilyn hair, looking up at their, you know, stunning sort of terracotta house and smiling angelically. Shocked at Carlos's hot nun friend, she calls him out telling him that she finds it hard to believe that his miraculous conversion is because of anything but Sister Mary. A hundred percent. The minute you see Sister Mary Bernard, you know something suspicious is happening because Melinda Page is stunning. Melinda Page is stunning. She's really pretty and Carlos, you felt to mention that. Yeah, like when you think of a nun, you think of someone like Valak. You don't think of Sister Mary Bernard. Well, you do. <laughs> I think of Valak, but you don't think of Sister Mary when you say nun. Yeah, suspicious. Mm. Uh, we move back to Lynette at the office, and she walks in and is stopped to the front by a woman named Pat, who is new. Turns out Nina fired Stu, and this seems to be enough for Lynette, who threatens to go to Ed. But apparently, Stu's employee file is full of black marks, and Nina, trying to be nice, threatens Lynette, telling her <laughs> that Ed has asked her to do another round of firing as she needs to make some cutbacks. Um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Nina, don't come for Lynette. But this bit Lynette in the arse. It really did. It really did. Lynette was like, oh yeah, I'm going to blackmail this woman. Let's get this sorted. And then boom, fires Ed. Or not Ed, Stu. Yeah, Lynette often doesn't think about the ramifications of her actions. No, she's very in the moment. Lynette's a very in the moment kind of woman. Yeah, she's a bit impulsive, but but still, don't mess with her, Nina. No, don't mess with her. It's not in your best interests. Because it doesn't really work out in the end. (laughs) So... Susan is at Addison's store giving him her CV to apply for the job. He's willing to give her a try after a bit of talking into it. I think he's a bit unsure as to why Susan wants a job as an assistant at a feed store. And Susan stops talking for a bit, telling Addison that she was looking at his eyes. So the same colour as hers. (laughs) I think this starts to sort of freak Addison out a little bit. And so he starts to walk Susan to the door, moaning to her that if Carol, his wife, sent her, then it won't work. If a private investigator couldn't catch him out, then clearly she won't be able to complimenting Susan on her sexy walk and her tight little ass. Uh, This proves to be too much for Susan, who yells out to him that she's his daughter. And Addison seems to be shocked at this and walks out into the back room with Susan following behind. I think she eventually makes it into the back room and he's like collapsed on the floor. Yeah, he he looks like he's had a heart attack or something. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, the one line that fascinated me was when he was like, if a private detective couldn't fool me, you can't fool me. And I thought, what the hell is happening with you and your wife, man? Well, he's clearly been having affairs and his wife has had enough of it and she wants evidence because I bet she's called Addison out on it. And he's like, no, girl, you're crazy. You're crazy. I ain't having affairs. Oh, you think he's gaslighting her? Yeah, Yeah. totally gaslighting her. And so now she's had to go out of her way to hire a private investigator to get evidence so she herself 
no longer feels like she is crazy. I bet he's made her feel mental. Poor Susan. Right? This is your dad, Susan. You thought that your dad was a war hero. <laughs> he turns out to just be an adulterer that runs a feed store. Oh, so disappointing. He's not a very nice... He doesn't seem like a great person. No. nothing. There's nothing wrong with running a feed store, by the way. It's just... It's no war hero. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people are flawed. People are flawed. People have layers. This is the reality. Mm-hmm. Not every, there's no such thing as a perfect person, Susan. Bree is at the hospital visiting Dr. Goldfine, who is alive, guys. He's alive. He's alive. I didn't even remember that he lived. I did, but when B in the previous episode mentioned about his death, I didn't really want to be like, he's not dead. I thought we'd just let it pan out and you would see him again soon. Well, I'm glad he's alive. I think the actor's good. The actor is very good. Somehow he's still alive. I'm not really quite sure how he survived it. Yeah, his, his head struck the stone and then he was flipped over the bridge. And even though we didn't really see how high the bridge was, we heard a fairly long scream and a thud. Yeah. So um, I find it is quite surprising that he's still alive. Don't know what's keeping him together. He is still stuck with a lot of broken bones, though. He's stuck in a hospital bed, leg up in cast, arm up in cast. So she tells Dr. G, that's what I'm calling him, because it's easier that way. She tells Dr. G that she broke up with George. What? Because it instantly makes me think of Mr. G. <laughs> she tells Dr. G that she broke up with George, asking him if he ever really cures people, even if they're really crazy. <laughs> Brie tells Dr. G that she saw something in George's eyes when she broke up with him that was evil and kind of malignant, and she didn't think it was something that could be cured. Dr. G doesn't believe in evil, and this shocks Brie, as someone did just randomly throw him off a bridge for no reason. The doctor feels for this man, though, as he's clearly struggling with some sort of mental health issues, telling Bree that he just came by on his little blue bike and hurt him without even knowing him. And Bree, at this moment, has the realisation that George's bike is also blue. Yeah, I mean... How many blue bikes are out there in Fairview? <laughs> I'm liking that he's challenging Bree's worldview of black and white morality, of good and evil, stuff like that. I'm also liking that even though he's stuck in a hospital bed with broken bones, he's still seeing his clients. I wrote that as well. I was like, can psychiatrists still give sessions while they're in hospital? I mean, I'm guessing so, because there's mentally there's nothing wrong with him. He's just, you know, in a cast. If he wasn't bed-bound in the cast that he was in, then he'd probably still be at the office in that cast. I'm sure she was just visiting him as a friend, really. Possibly. I imagine they grew quite close over their time. Yeah, because you can't give a proper therapy session in the hospital. So Dr. Goldfine is very much saying it's not black and white, it's not good and evil. It's, you know, people have their problems. People have, in his words, people either have mental health or they don't. Yeah. But good on you, Dr. Goldfine, for remembering that blue bike. Right? If Dr. Goldfine hadn't have said blue bike, who knows what would have happened. Like, this story could have continued for a long old time. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it went on longer than this. Mm. Yeah, no, me too, me too. So, uh, Lynette is having coffee with Stu, who appears to be flattered that she invited him over. Uh, Lynette tells him the truth about how he got fired in the end. I think she was just kind of just going to say it. That it was sexual harassment and that he should talk to Ed about getting his job back. Poor Pat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an innocent party in all of this. <laughs> uh, Stu asks if Nina would get in trouble, and Lynette advises him that she would probably get, like, a slap on the wrist or something. Oh, Lynette. Yeah, she wouldn't get in trouble. She'd probably get, like, a little bit of a, you've been bad, but, you know, you do good work, so let's carry on. I mean, I sure hope that Stu isn't dumb enough to fall for that, but, well, clearly he is. <laughs> even in Lynette's words, like, Stu was like, oh, it wasn't sexual harassment, I consented to it, and even Lynette was like, you're a gopher. You don't consent to anything. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> because, I mean, she's not wrong in the sense that he's not really a gopher, but in comparison to Nina, he is just a gopher in the workplace. Yeah, your consent isn't the issue. It's mm. inappropriate. Power play. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. So even you might have consented and you're of age to consent, but Nina is still in a position of power above you. And so it's still technically considered sexual harassment in the workplace, especially when you do it in the workplace. Oh, yeah. No. That's a no-no. 
Lynette's master plan is all coming together. Right, so now Lynette's trying to, what, get Nina fired, it seems? I think she's trying to get his job back and, yeah, maybe just get rid of Nina. Because even Lynette, the way she's talking to Stu, she knows that Nina is not going to get a slap on the wrist. She's already told Nina that Ed's been known to fire people for sleeping with employees. She said that to Nina in the previous episode. So she knows of what Nina is potentially up against if Stu does take this further. So my mentality is the only answer that Lynette now has in her mind is to get Nina fired. And yeah, Nina's not a very nice person in the office, but can that really be warranted to getting someone fired? Yeah, very not high, not highly moral. <laughs> no, because yeah, it's not very nice to have to deal with a tyrant in the workplace. I'm sure everybody or a lot of people have always dealt with that. But going out of your way to ensure that somebody gets fired is morally questionable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was her plan because she doesn't, later on, um, she makes it seem like it wasn't quite her intentions, but I don't know what her plan was here. No, because this really feels like the only outcome that is available and also the only outcome that Annette's walking towards. So The obvious outcome. Mm. Anyway. Susan goes to the hospital to check on Addison, who's had a heart attack from what we can assume is the shock of finding out he's got an adult baby girl. However, he asks Susan to leave as his wife is coming, and if she finds out that he has an adult love child, then she would know he's been cheating on her on and off from the start of their marriage or relationship, and he tries to butter Susan up by telling her that it was nice to meet her, but she does have to go. Yeah, this is actually a really sad scene. It is a really sad scene. Susan then tells him that her name is Susan, because, you know, he doesn't even call her by her name, he just calls her Hun, but that isn't good enough. Susan just wants to have a coffee or a lunch so they can get to know each other. She just wants to get to know him, basically, without the assumption that he's a bad person because that's all she's really got from him so far. However, Addison doesn't want to get to know her, claiming that it isn't fair that she is punishing him for a mistake he made years ago. Carol then comes in, asking Susan who she is, and Susan lies, claiming that she was buying something in Addison's store when he had a heart attack and she called the ambulance and gave him CPR. She goes to give Addison a hug before leaving and whispers in his ear that she isn't giving up. Yeah, I really liked that moment. I think this is probably the the hardest, most grown-up decision that we've seen Susan make so far. Really? Yeah, to not just tell the wife who she is and not just end their family. She does make a start, what feels like she makes a start. You know, Carol comes in and she turns to Susan and she's like, oh, who are you? And Susan looks at Addison and says, are you going to tell her or am I? Yeah. Which makes it seem like she's going to be like, I'm your husband's love child. Yeah, because um, he specifically says that if she finds out, that'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm -hmm. So that will end his relationship with his wife. Yeah. And his family, because he's got his own family now. Maybe Susan realises that she'll never get a chance to have a relationship with this man if she messes things up with his wife. And also, does she have the right to mess up things with his family anyway? No, because actually what Addison said to Susan in this scene was that him and Sophie made a deal and he gave Sophie a load of money for her to keep quiet. But yes, that's the first time we've heard that there was an arrangement made between Sophie and Addison. In the previous episode, Sophie just said that Addison dropped her when she told him that she was pregnant. But now we know that there was more to it than that. Addison and Sophie spoke about the pregnancy and it came to an arrangement. Yeah, really shady. Yeah. I mean, if we weren't annoyed with Sophie's decision-making beforehand, it's getting a bit more annoying now. Mm. I mean, we don't really know any further... We don't know more of the ins and outs of it. All we know is that there was an arrangement made, but that is still another lie that Sophie told. Yeah, this is some juicy drama. Right? So, George is walking home with groceries when he sees the police going through his stuff at his house and sort of removing things, boxes and stuff. He decides to call Bree and she tells him that she knows what he did to Dr. G and that she wants him to turn himself in so that he can get the help he needs. He fakes not knowing a thing, that he didn't hurt Dr. Goldfine or anything. He then hangs up and turns around before throwing the groceries on the floor and running. I mean, I know it's not that kind of, well, it kind of is that kind of show, but I'm really surprised that they didn't have a police officer on Bree's end. 
trying to like trace the call and you know when they do that finger wind you think like keep them talking keep them talking (laughs) so they can try and trace it yeah oh my god i'm surprised they didn't do that actually i'm glad they didn't because it's so corny every time but i'm just surprised (laughs) yeah no i mean it was um very surprising scene it escalated very quickly from Bree having this realization that george could have been the one to throw dr godfrey off the cliff to telling the police off screen and them going through all of his stuff because they need a warrant that's exactly what I've written. I've actually written, I know it's a TV show and you have to suspend your disbelief. Mm-hmm. And I am glad that they didn't show us Brie calling the police because that would have been a naff scene and we didn't need it anyway. No, Because as soon as we saw this and then we saw the phone call, you establish in your head what's happened. Yeah. But I have thought, I did write, how have they managed to get a search warrant based on the fact that George has a blue bike? Isn't it just a bit too coincidental? It's a bit too coincidental, really. Because jo- Dr. Goldfine didn't really see George. No. He didn't see George's face. It's not like Bree could have sat and been like, what did this man look like? And, you know, he lists off George, basically. Um, and there certainly has to be more than one blue bike in Fairview. Yeah, I just think from what Bree knows so far, we just need more than that for yeah. a, an actual search, rather than just a quick knock on the door from the police, as, it, as you see in other things. Because the police are not one to jump to conclusions or make assumptions. Bree could call the police and say, oh, I think that George has done this. He's got a blue bike and Dr. Goldfine was injured by someone that was riding a blue bike shortly after me and George had an argument that included Dr. Goldfine. On top of that, I've seen George get quite territorial and violent, but that's still not enough. The police can't make the assumption that George did something to Dr. Goldfine. They have to have evidence of it. Yeah, it's just a bit bizarre. Yeah. Especially when George is known by all of the locals. He's the friendly pharmacist. So mm-hmm. this could make the police look really bad if they got it wrong. Yeah. But I mean, thank God they did it. <laughs> thank God they did it. Yeah. So um, I'm. it'd be interesting to see what they dig up. Because in past episodes, we've already seen George break into Bree's house and take some of her stuff. Yes, yes. So it'll be interesting to see if the show writers have remembered that I mean, they've shown us that. Yeah, there's got to be there's got to be evidence in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the show writers have remembered that they've shown the audience that, and will they keep that thread going a little bit? Yeah. Lynette turns up to the office where panic seems to be ensuing. Ed is firing people left, right, and centre for some strange reason, and that's when he calls Lynette into the office. He tells her that Nina is fired, and she is the new vice president of accounts. Turns out Stu is filing a sexual harassment suit against the company, and so he has to fire people so the company doesn't go bust. Oh, what a bad turn of events, Lynette. Right? Little bit of karma here. Lynette's first job as VP is to fire two people in the art department. Oh, yeah. Like, she's literally just got the job. She hasn't signed anything. And he's like, right, go fire two people. Yeah, it's like, your first job, fire two people in the art department. I think he says their names, but I don't know. Lynette's a trooper, though. She's like, I'll get right on that. Not, I, I think it's like a reluctant, I'll get right on that, but you know, she's doing it. As she goes to do that, Nina comes out of her office to offer her congratulations. Telling, oh, Lynette, sorry, tells Nina that she just wanted her to be nicer to people and she didn't mean for it to go this far. Nina warns Lynette that Ed is useless and that she has been the one to keep the company going, but that's apparently all on Lynette now. Yeah, this is quite a dark, a dark moment for Lynette, in, it, a, in a way. But it's like we said earlier, How could Lynette have not seen that this was going to happen? You pretty much suggested to Stu that he could file a sexual harassment suit and Nina would be fine. And then Stu goes off and files a sexual harassment suit and Nina gets fired like you know she would. It's exactly what you had intended to happen, Lynette. You can act all shady to Nina and be like, this really wasn't what I had in mind, Nina, I'm so sorry. But deep down inside, can she trust you, bitch? (laughs) Yeah, this isn't a good look, Lynette. Maybe don't get half your team fired. No, true. Plus, let's not act like... Lynette is the most moral person. She has done some questionably immoral things yeah. throughout the season and a half that we have watched and reported to you guys on. Yeah, Lynette um, is a messy queen. She's not above going to lengths like this to get what she wants. And I bet she wanted to get that promotion. Lynette is a messy a messy housewife, honestly. Messy right. character. But yeah, what a 
what a turn of events. Proper dramatic episode so far. It is a really dramatic episode. We've had This has been a good episode for us. Gabby is setting the table as she's invited Sister Mary over for lunch. The doorbell rings and then we cut to the dinner table with Gabby asking Sister Mary if she bonds with everyone she meets or if just Carlos was special. Sister Mary is a classic nun, by the way, like telling Gabby that she works in several prisons, but that Carlos is special. Yeah, everyone's special in the eyes of God and all that. She asks Gabby if they are involved in any charities and Gabby says no. Carlos wants to change that and Sister Mary agrees, saying that money can't buy happiness. And Gabby believes that this is a lie that we tell poor people to keep them from writing. <laughs> I'm only saying that because that is a famous Desperate Housewives quote right there. Yeah. After a little discussion about how Gabby is so selfish, she laughs at the idea of charity. Carlos trying to mend his ways. He offers to donate his car to the church's mission. What mission that is, I don't know. Gabby wasn't laughing at charity. She was just making a joke. Yeah. Can we not be rude to Gabby, please? Carlos offers to give up the car. Him and Gabby don't need two. They can share one. Gabby's not happy about this or about Carlos telling her that they'll cut down on the shopping. (laughs) And Carlos runs to get the ownership papers for the car. Gabby follows him to the bedroom where she starts to make out with him before they finally have sex. With the nun downstairs. Yep. The hypocrisy of him calling Gabby selfish for making a joke about charity when he went to prison for slave labour. Right! But then again, didn't Gabby say that in the scene? And Carlos was like, but I'm trying to mend my ways. Something like, I think that was hinted at least. But honestly, she made, she made a joke. But, Carlos, you might be mending your ways, but nobody needs the self-righteousness. No! I'm mending my ways, therefore I'm better than you. No, because you still went to jail for slave labour. And it wasn't even a joke about charity. It was a joke about poor people. Also, Carlos, wonder how your God would feel about manipulating someone into getting pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're repenting for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he's looking for, like, the check to make out to the charity or whatever, he even says, don't even bother, you're not talking me out of this. And I thought, maybe talk with your wife first. Instead of talking at her, which is classic Carlos. He sit, he sat there in that caravan when they had that conjugal visit, saying that he was going to mend his ways when they got out of the prison. And I see no mending, Carlos. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to rant, guys, but Carlos has already said about mending his ways, but now he's talking about redemption, and he's basically not discussing his new life choices with his wife. He's just throwing money every which way that he wants to again he's um he's not grasped the concept of mending his ways what led gabby to cheat was how little he cared for her as anything but a material object and that doesn't seem to be changing no he still sees gabby as someone that doesn't get a say she doesn't what she says doesn't matter she's so selfish look at her laughing at charity ha 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 all she wants to do is shop she won't give away a car (laughs) no i'm not gonna give away a car Honestly, it's ridiculous. You can't just come home one day and be like, I'm going to give loads of our money to charity. I'm going to give away a car. Like, these are pretty big decisions that you have to discuss with your partner. Exactly. Especially considering, Carlos, that Gabby's not working. And you've just come back from prison where you're probably going to find it tough to find a job. Yeah. It's not easy for an ex-con to find a job, especially in America. So you're just giving away all this money that you might need to keep you going until someone, one of you gets a job. Anyway, we've digressed again. Gabby comes back to the dinner table, apologising to Sister Mary for keeping her waiting whilst her and Carlos had a talk. (laughs) Sister Mary tells Gabby that she heard some of their chat, and Gabby takes her outside to ask her to back off a bit, as now that Carlos is home, they need to work on their marriage, and they can't be doing that if he's running off to church and, you know, charity bake sales and things like that. Sister Mary simply doesn't care, (laughs) and tells Gabby, No. No. (laughs) Uh, This shocks Gabby, but Sister Mary seems to think that Carlos's problem is actually with her. Gabby tells Sister Mary that she will take her down if she comes between her and her husband. However, Mary, I'm just going to call her Mary. Mary is from the south side of Chicago, and that doesn't scare her at all. <laughs> so badass. Uh, she's literally like, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. 
you want to scare me, you have to do better than that. This seems badass. Right? Gabby Honestly. calling a nun a bitch is everything. Now, listen, you listen to me, you little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested because Gabby says, you do not want to start a war with me. Mm-hmm. And then Sister Mary goes, I've got God on my side. Bring it on. Classic nun. I love it. I've got God on my side. <laughs> but the minute she said that, I was like, I do want you to start a war with Gabby because I want to see what Gabby's going to do. I'm very curious about Gabby's battle strategy. Me too. I so, so excited for this storyline. I love Sister Mary. I think she brings a needed antagonist to the Gabby and Carlos storyline. Yeah, an outsider that is more antagonistic than... Because we had an antagonist, which was John, but he wasn't really an antagonist. Nah, he was was an antagonist in terms of theme. Yeah. But not really... You know, as a character himself, he wasn't an antagonist. John was just a naive boy. But it's nice to have an enemy for Gabby, as it were. You know, Lynette's got an enemy, Nina... Brie has an enemy, George. Susan's her own enemy. Yeah, Susan is her own worst enemy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's nice that we get that with Gabby, and I think Sister Mary is going to bring it just as hard as Gabby is. So George is in a hotel room that is also hosting a charity dinner with Brie as one of the heads of the function, in the function room downstairs. He asks the bellman to go downstairs, give Brie a note, and leave, and as soon as she comes up in the elevator, call his room. The bellman agrees when George gives him, like, a shit ton of money. Yeah, big wad of cash. A big wad of cash. And he was not questioning it. He just went. The bellman gives Bree the note, and she reads it, and it appears to be a suicide note from George. I mean, it doesn't appear to be a suicide note from George. It is a suicide note from George. And it basically asks Bree to come up and say goodbye to him, and he can't bear to live in a world where Bree thinks that he's some villain. Bree immediately calls Detective Barton to tell him, but the detective actually has some news for Bree, and when going through George's things, they found evidence to suggest that he killed Rex. Bree sits down whilst the detective talks her through some of the evidence, Rex's pill bottles, things like that, and Bree puts the telephone down on the table and goes to the elevator. The bellman sees this, calls George to tell him, and then George starts to take the pills and booze now that she's on her way up. Classic manipulation tactic. Oh yeah, 100%. Right there. Uh, Bree's in the elevator having an emotional breakdown at the news before she pushes the emergency stop button. Yeah, she needs a minute. <laughs> yeah, she does need a minute. So we'll, we'll talk about what we've seen so far because this is a long scene. Bree looks stunning. Bree absolutely looks incredible. That white dress with the low cut at the front. White silky material. Yeah, looks like you could wipe it clean with a damp cloth. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it's, it's a gorgeous dress. Bree looks really good in it. And it really sort of overemphasizes her hair colour. Because it the does. dress is because the dress is white, it makes her orange hair seem even more orange. Yeah, proper vibrant. She looks like a Greek goddess or like yeah. a statue. Come through Aphrodite. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah, Marsha Marsha's acting, Marsha Cross who plays Brie. Mm. When she goes into this trance like state after the phone call and then you know she gets in the lift, pushes the emergency button and all that. You can feel how guilty she's feeling when she hits the mirror inside the lift and she's having a moment. Like yeah. you can tell that she's got all of these emotions going she's, on at the She's one time. guilty that she's brought George into their life. She's guilty that she's fallen for his tricks. She feels awful that, you know, she didn't see it sooner. You can see all of that going through her. She probably feels guilty about Rex's death. She probably thinks it's partly her fault. Mm. That's how I interpret it anyway. Yeah. So yeah, Marsha's acting was superb. You got so many layers in that couple of minutes in the elevator that we got with her. Yeah, the information just hit her. Yeah. Like a train, like, oh my God, bam. Yeah. This is what's happening. So, I mean, she was not expecting that. No, not at all. Like, But the moment we were all waiting for. Yeah. about It came a lot sooner than I was remembering it came. I mean, she completely has in her head that he's killed Dr. Goldfine, but I don't think she had any inclination in her mind about Rex. Well, he didn't kill Dr. Goldfine. I mean, attempted. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I don't think she had any inclination about Rex at all, because there was no... No need to think that, really. Yeah. This was a gag for her. Yeah, because everyone just assumed that Rex died of heart complications, mm. not anything else. And why was there any need to question it? The coroner said that. 
So it was it was a sad scene. But classic manipulation tactic from George, where he doesn't start to actually attempt suicide until he knows that Brie is on her way up to save him because he doesn't want to commit suicide. He just wants to manipulate Brie. Yeah, he's in his own world here. Proper fantasy. Yeah, he doesn't believe he's done anything wrong. And so what he needs now is to get the attention of Brie and do something that is so off the wall crazy. Brie has this magic realisation that she can't live without him and she can't do anything. So Brie will either have that, in George's mind anyway, Brie will have that, or Brie will feel pressured to stay with George so that he doesn't do something like this again. Yeah. Either way, it's manipulation. He's making himself look like the victim. Classic. Yeah. Shall we move on up, up yeah. the lift, to George's room? So George wakes up on the bed, checks the time, and notices that Brie never arrived. He calls the operator, love this bit, he calls the operator to tell him that he appears to have swallowed some pills by mistake and to call an ambulance. And suddenly we hear a knock at the door and George instantly changes his tune, telling the operator not to worry, it, it just it was just vitamins. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, this is a pharmacist, guys. That poor operator's probably like, what? <laughs> oh, don't worry, it was just some vitamins. Oh, it was just vitamins. Bree enters the room, finds George on the bed, who claims that he didn't hurt Dr. G. And Bree asks him why he's telling her all of this. But George is willing to face the police if she stays with him. Yeah, he's prop- she's proper like, why did you take these pills? Yeah. But George is, is willing to work on things, providing that Bree stays at his side throughout the whole thing. Yeah, even apparently. though he refuses to admit that he killed, that he tried to kill Dr. G. Exactly. So how can you work on anything if you refuse to accept it? Bree pulls up a chair, telling George that she wants to help him, but she has to forgive him. But she needs him to admit what he's done first. And she confronts George about killing Rex. She knows it wasn't all his fault, as he isn't well. But to forgive, she needs his honesty. And let's play the clip. Yeah, so here we go. Fuck, I'm in trouble here. We need to call someone. Not until you admit what you've done. I love you. Anything I may have done. Because you wanted me to. You know you did. Ooh, Ooh. Dark, George. Right? And I bet that was really hard for Brie to have to sit and hear that. Like, yeah. everything I did, I did for you because you wanted me to. Yeah, that was... <laughs> that was dark. Yeah. But he basically admitted that he killed, that he killed Rex. Pretty much. I mean, he didn't say it. But it's definitely in the context of what he's saying there. It's definitely implied. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much straight after that clip, George passes out, wakes up very quickly afterwards, and Brie tells George that she called an ambulance whilst he was asleep and that they're on their way. And she stays there until he dies. She doesn't actually call an ambulance. No, not at all. She um, lies so that George doesn't attempt anything and he dies. Yeah. I want to say it must be quite cathartic. But at the same time, I bet because of the fact that it's still fairly fresh for her. She can't really appreciate the catharsism. No, I don't think she's going to feel any good feelings here at all. Probably it's not. It's just a very... I keep saying dark. Um, this is Stone Cold Brie. Yeah. This I is, mean, it, um... is, it is. This is the the most... Um, I don't want to say evil. Morally questionable, but, at least. I mean, yeah, it's the most morally questionable thing that Brie, I think, has ever done that we have seen possibly anybody ever do in Desperate Housewives, really. I mean, I know Lynette faked her child having cancer and just got someone fired in this episode and Susan burnt down a house and lied about it. Yeah, but those were all funny. But those were all, you know, they had their elements of humour involved in this. And this doesn't have any sort of element of humour and it is just Brie letting the Lord do his work, almost. Yeah. lying to someone until they die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't blame her for this. No, I, I don't, I don't blame either. her for this. And I think that Brie probably was sat there weighing up everything because technically she could get done for this yep 
she could go to jail for this because she didn't do anything to save this man. Yeah, it's like some some degree of murder. But it, it would be something, and Brie would certainly not be the innocent party in all of this. I think I get in the moment allowing it to happen, but I think there's going to be some long-term ramifications with Brie that I think this is really going to affect her. Oh, yeah, that we, Brie will have to deal with the guilt that this will hold for quite a while. Because, yeah, he killed your husband, but you'll have your own level of guilt with this. Plus, you're going to have to explain this to Andrew and Danielle. Yeah, good luck with that. Sorry, my boyfriend killed your dad. Oh, Andrew's going to be pissed. As, yes, he will. We can assume Danielle will be pissed, but we probably won't see that. <laughs> <laughs> this was George's last scene. It was. This was George's last scene. From His that... last scene, and he died how he lived. Evil. Trying to manipulate the hell out of Brie. Yeah. He's going to come back in flashbacks and stuff, so we do see him more, but in terms of his last actual scenes in the present, this mm. is it. He's dead. Yeah. So farewell, George. And thank you, Roger Bart. George was one of my favourite characters. He was one of your favourite characters. You were so devastated when he died that first time we watched it. I was. He's so deliciously evil. I loved it. <laughs> it was great drama. He is the mistress of evil of Desperate Housewives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was the last scene. And we move on to the ending. And Mary Alice tells us it is not always easy to distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys, as both can surprise us as we can't define people as simply good and evil. And in this sort of little last scene, we see both Carlos and Sister Mary praying in their respective rooms. Uh, Nina is sadly packing up her desk. Addison is in hospital with his wife. And Bree leaves George's hotel room with him dead on the bed. Yeah. Oh. So um, we'll see if Bree manages to get away with it because... <laughs> The only person that knows that Brie went up there is the bellman. Who knew she had it in her? Right? This starts Brie on a path, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, keep this cold-hearted Brie in mind, guys, because it's not the last you see of her. And, um, yeah, Brie isn't made of stone. It's going to affect her. It will affect her, yeah. So let's move on to our next segment, where Joel is going to talk about the best and the worst outfits of the episode. So, Joel... What is the best outfit of the episode? The best outfit is one we've already discussed, which is Brie's white dress. Very, um angelic juxtaposed to George's sort of evil, malicious devilness, as yeah. it were. She's like the angel of death. She is, yeah. She was there in her white dress, just watching George die. She's there, like, touching his forehead like Voldemort. <laughs> but she looked great, and it really made her hair really vibrant and fiery, and she looks gorgeous. She, just, she was so pretty. Fantastic, yeah. Um, and what have you got for the worst outfit? The worst outfit is an outfit we haven't discussed this episode because I kept it specifically for this moment, but it's the moment that Susan very first walks into Addison Prudy's feed store, and she's looking like she's skinned a Muppet, and she's wearing it as a shawl. It's sort of like a really hairy, what looks like a jumper, until the camera zooms out, and you realise it's just draped over her shoulders, and it is hideous. Yeah, I didn't mind it in the close-up. When you zoom out and see the whole thing, I was like, oh, that's awful. Plus, the colour was hideous. Sorry about it. So, what do we say to our worst outfit? Oh, Jesus. Gross. So, yeah, that was um, that was the worst outfit. Thank you, Susan, for that. <laughs> um, so, who are you going to be giving your worst and best parent award to? Oh, yeah, okay. So, my pick four. Best parent of the episode. Now, as always, you got to cut me some slack because best parents are always hard because we never see very good parenting that often. That is true, yeah. And especially in this episode, where were the parents? Are you going to be giving it to Addison? <laughs> yes. My best parent award goes to Addison Prudy only because he's trying to keep his family life intact. So not because of his work with Susan, but because of his work with his own family. I'm sorry. I am sorry, but that is the worst decision you have ever made in the history of this <laughs> podcast to give that best parent award to Addison fucking Prudy. <laughs> when he did absolutely nothing this episode but tell Susan that she was a mistake and he doesn't want to know her. But he sounds like he likes his own kids. But we didn't see them! <laughs> oh my god, I cannot 
believe you've done this. I can't believe you've done this. What kids did we see? I don't know. Oh, that's well upsetting. That's well upsetting. I'll never, I'll never forget that. I'll never, I'll never forgive it. Okay, well that's your choice, I guess. Congratulations, Addison. <laughs> Who's the worst then? If that was the best, who is the worst? Oh, the worst was easy. So my pick four. Worst parent of the episode. This one was much easier than best. The worst parent award also goes to Addison Prudy. <laughs> Can we just agree to not give anyone any awards? Addison Prudy gets the worst parent award for his parenting with Susan. I'm surprised you didn't give the worst parent to Brie. Or the, and the best parent to Brie. Worst parent to Brie for bringing George into her children's lives to kill their father. And best parent to Brie for standing there and watching George die. Now, I, I want it to be a bit more... <laughs> You see it, you see what's happening, not just conceptual. Mm. So, I, yeah, Addison Prudy, Addison, sorry, for, um, yeah, his work with Susan in the, in the episode. You wanted to, you know, be more, you see it happening, and then you pick best parent to Addison to assume that he's caring for his real, like, actual children, even though we've never seen that happen, and that's conceptual. <laughs> no, because he, he, talks, he talks about his family. So he's trying to keep Susan away so that his family life doesn't fall apart, which is very considerate for the kids. Well, then he shouldn't have knocked up Sophie. Nah. No, you shouldn't have. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, well, guys, let us know if you agree with these awards, please. So that was season two, episode nine. That's good. That's bad. And Joel, where can people find us on socials you where can... they can complain about my parenting choices? Yes, you can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review, where you can leave us a comment about his god awful choices. <laughs> If you're going to judge, let me know who you would have given it to, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> let us know who you would have given, like, the, not just the uh, parent award, but the outfit award, too. And you can also email us. Our email address is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And our artwork is done by our friend Louis. You can find him at DocRedMonkDesign on Instagram, where you'll also find a link to his Etsy page. Yep, he does some good work, so go check him out. Next week, we'll be doing Season 2, Episode 10, Coming Home. Hopefully we'll have um, some more laughs than we did this week. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So we will see you next week, guys. Hoping for a lighter tone. Yes. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.